0: You are listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. Well, God is good, and all the time, good. We do, that's our charismatic liturgy of the day. Thank you. you. Um, The glory of God was so thick this morning, or the fire during worship. Um, It's hard to... uh, It's hard to describe, it's hard to measure what I feel is here, what's available, and what it is that we're about to walk into. And I say that in faith because I understand the principle of Scripture is that many are called, but few are chosen. And in America, we don't like that. In the Western church, we don't like that because we think things are automatic, you know, because we are born with inalienable rights. Well, we have rights, but it doesn't mean that we will walk into what we have access to. And as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. The natural things speak of the invisible. And so there's always a, a level of Sobriety in me when I think of these types of seasons because I've been here before. I'm old enough to say that now. I'm not 55, but I'm closing in. My wife is. We can move into one of those communities now. Villages, here we come. No, just kidding. That's right. Well, I did play golf for the first time in my life when I was in California. I know. My wife said I can't make fun of golf claps anymore. We're still not allowed to golf clap here at the bridge. But golf claps aren't really what they used to be. I I was talking to somebody about that uh, this week. It's, you know, it used to be, you know, this was a golf clap. Now, I mean, basically, at these golf things, everybody gets hammered. So um, the applause at these golf things are much more rambunctious than they used to be. Um, and uh, although we are not drunk with wine, we are uh, consumed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, therefore, uh, our applause can be uh, that of golf, what do they call them? Matches? I don't, I don't even know what tournament, uh, whatever the things. Um, you know, we can be rambunctious like that. Uh, I remember a few years ago at the Ryder Cup, it was controversial because everybody was so loud and rambunctious and probably mostly probably mostly the Americans and the British uh, I, don't, I don't really know I just remember the controversy and kind of laughing about it but uh, having said that I understand the opportunity that is available to us but it's not automatic and yes to a certain extent it starts with personal, personal revival there has to be personal revival you have to be hungry for personal encounter what does that look like let me just be real clear real honest it means first man, out, first man in, last man out Day after day but we'll see, Will agrees yes. Will's my boy He's my boy I got a text from Evie last night Evie Zavala, he's the guy that's always with Papa Che He'll be here in November with uh, Che Sue may be coming But Che every year says Sue is coming And then she never comes Because she'd rather take care of grandbabies Than come and take care of me But it's okay it's okay, I understand that. Um, and uh, he said, where's my boy at? So I'm, I'm Evie's boy, and Will's my boy, and so on and so forth it goes. But what do I mean by first man in for last man out? It means that you're so hungry for the presence that you're just not going to miss it. And there's something that happens, I'm, you know, I... Say this, I was about to say I'm sorry, but I'm not. I say this without apology. There's something that happens in the atmosphere of corporate gatherings and worship that does not happen on your own. Now, I've had incredible encounters on my own. I have. But at the same time, time after time after time in corporate gatherings, I've been hit with a shockwave of his presence. And what hit me this morning was very close to that, to the point where Um, you know, I almost uttered something that my mom would not have approved of. But her scope of that was much smaller than, you know, what yours or mine might be. Like, she didn't like the word crap. And at the beginning of a worship set in 2010, uh, I say, can we just deal with all of our crap tonight? It was the opening session of a conference. That's the best way to open a conference. See, a lot of worship leaders didn't like to do the first night of a conference because everybody's awkward, because you've got all these people in a room. They don't know each other, and they're trying to fill it out. I don't care. If you feel awkward, if I feel awkwardness in the room, I'm just going to kick you in the face with Jesus. That's how we roll. So I was like, let's just deal with it tonight. And I had just had an encounter in the prayer room, 40, 45-minute encounter where I was taken to a place in the Spirit that I believe that we're just beginning to walk out now. And so when you're in that space, you, really, you just don't care about insecurities, you don't care about awkwardness, you don't care about what we think is appropriate or what we think is decently and order, orderly because your, your metric for what that is is a heavenly metric rather than our earthly comfort or culture. And it was that level of presence and fire for me this morning which is a direct correlation to prayer that happened Friday night, prayer that happened Saturday morning. People that decided were hungry enough to show up. And in those days, that was the determination of my heart. Because you just, you never knew when God was going to move in a more extraordinary way than what you had experienced before and here's the thing we, we, we like to think that God is so gracious that if we miss it that we get another chance well you do get another chance sort of but you never get a chance at that day again you, you just you don't see I, I've as many days as I've been in I've also missed I've missed God and as many moments as we've had here as a church, corporately, we've missed as well. And I recognize that it could take years before you get back, or not get back, but you, you, it could take years before you get a shot at what the Lord wants to drop. Because where grace is given, responsibility is assumed. All throughout Scripture. In, in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, grace and favor are interchangeable. It's the same word. So you might see favor, you might see grace. Depends on the translation. It's the same word. But every time it's given, then responsibility is on the other side of that. And that's why I was so struck by what Charles Capp said years ago, but that happened to see this week. He said, you know, you don't find in Scripture where God is asking the non-believer to confess their sin to come into the kingdom. They're just, they're just asked to confess Jesus. It's on the other side where grace is given that the responsibility is assumed for us to examine ourselves and then confess sin so that he can be faithful and just to forgive us. So we get it backwards. We had this long conversation at midnight with the boys when I was out in California. We were doing this leadership collective and and we were having guy time, which we thought was going to be relaxed, and this exec- I talked about it a couple weeks ago, I think, but this executive director of a major international ministry, um, he's the business guy, but he's, he has his own ministry as well, and, uh, and he said, how do you define holiness? And really what he was going after was, was this sort of traditional fire and brimstone message that we many of us grew up in, if you're old enough, is that effective? Is it even biblical? And while there is a space, believe me, there's a space for this reverence, awe, and at times abject fear of God because when you really come into an encounter with God, like a a deep, if you ever have a throne room experience, which I've never quite been there, I've had some pretty crazy experiences. I've had experiences where I've been so pulled out of the natural realm that all I could see was not the things around me. And I've, had, I, I've been around many guys who have said, oh, you know, I was caught up into the throne room. And I, I, some of them, who because I had enough relationship with them, I looked them right in the eye and I said, no, you, no, you didn't. Because I know that when you're, when you're there, when you come back, you carry something. There's an atmosphere around you. You know, when John Paul Jackson said he had a throne room encounter, you knew that he had a throne room encounter because when you got around him, whether you wanted to or not, you started having experiences. The issue is that people got addicted to the atmosphere around a man instead of being uh, um, pressed to pursue the presence of God himself. It's very easy to do because we'd rather lay hold of that which is intangible than press for that which we haven't quite seen yet. You could sleep in the same hotel room, or not the same hotel room, that would never happen. Uh, the same hotel as John Paul Jackson in your dream life is going to increase and your vision life is going to increase just for that little period of time. See, those are the kinds of things that happen when you are in the presence of God. There's something that... Radiates from your being when you have a fresh impartation of the light of his countenance upon your life. But on the other side of that encounter, there's responsibility. You can lay it down or you can carry it and steward it well. And as a young man, as a boy, my parents were the kind of parents that were like, When the church doors were open, we're there. And we went to a Baptist church, which I learned the word, which is important, and became a foundation for my life. But I didn't have a lot of encounters in the Baptist church because that's just not how they roll, but they're very strong in the word. Where the charismatic or the river stream is not. Scholarship. I have a friend who's cessationist. Sometimes, you know, it's weird. I have more favor with guys who who are cessationist, meaning they believe the gifts past with the the passing of the last apostle, biblically, which is incredible to me, but because you can't make a scriptural case out of it. You have to make leaps. You have to assume some things, and I'm not here to talk about that today, but I have more favor with these guys than I do with some pastors that you think are in our own stream. I don't know what it is, but we were having a conversation, and he said, you know evangelicals we value the paper meaning the diploma the degree whereas charismatics they just value the gift he said we're both wrong we just need to value the presence so as a young man in this you know the, what i recognized i remember when i was about 11 because i started smoking when i was 8 I mean, the paper boy. We had paper boys back then. Paper boy was like, hey, you want a cigarette? I was like, sure, you know, because I wanted to be bad. Like, I wanted to do bad things. I wanted to be the rebellious kid. I was moderately good at it. And I recognized around age 11 that the church that we were going to, I could go and leave and be unchanged. But then we would sneak off to Wellesley Park Assembly of God which was on Oak Street at the time, now that's a Coptic Orthodox church and Wellesley Park is CIC, Celebration International Church, on Loker Street in Wayland. And Pastor Jack was there at the time, I couldn't go to that church and leave the same way easily. See, I could go to my church and not be convicted by the Holy Spirit, but I couldn't be in that environment and Repress the spirit the same way And when I was really young On Sunday night service I, I, I could sleep through And when I was a kid I snored I still snore apparently at times Particularly when I gained a little bit of weight I ate a lot of food in California A lot Of food But So I could sleep In my church on a Sunday night But when we decided to go to these revival meetings In the 70s I couldn't sleep Mostly it wasn't the Holy Spirit It was just because Pastor Jack was really loud and scary Yes So But as I grew up When we would go I always felt like he was speaking right to me Which in a sense might be arrogant But in the other sense That's what the Holy Spirit does And because We were Sunday morning Sunday night, Wednesday night because we went to conferences even as a little boy constantly being thrust into the presence of God as a boy I had encounters and I've told you the story I'll just tell you again because I know that some of you are here even for the first time. Annika, we bonded over shoes and rent them. You like my shoes? These are the the Italian shoes I got. Yeah, they're nice. They're nice. I got these other high tops that, that she said, oh, those are extra. She said, I would wear those. I bought them. And when we got to the cash register, they were like 60% off the sale price. It was a sign from Jesus. I can't wear them when I speak because they're a little squeaky and noisy. I wore them this week and Greta said, well, you're never going to sneak up on me again. Yeah. I I got lost in shoes. Um, So I, I remember my first... Encounter with the presence of God before I even knew it was in my crib. Not the MTV crib, but literally in my crib. So I was probably about two years old. We were living in New Jersey at the time. My dad was about to retire from the Marine Corps after 20 years. And there was a floor fan in the room. And I can't tell you if I was asleep or if I was awake, but the floor fan multiplied. And it was before I could count, so I, I, I don't know. It, it either went from one floor fan to five or seven floor fans, and they all started walking toward me, if a fan could walk, and blowing the wind over me, which at that age is scary. And I began to cry and probably scream. And my mom came into the room and said, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I did not have the language to articulate what was happening. Fast forward to age eight, we're at a full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International Convention. I think it was in the Hartford, where the Hartford Whalers played when they still were in Hartford hockey team, in the arena down there. And, you know, it was a big, massive convention. They had a big, massive kids program. But the presence of God hit me at eight age, age eight in worship. And for the very first time that I can remember, I lifted my hands in worship. But I was a little bit nervous, so I couldn't open my hand. I had to close it. I only remember that because after that whole thing, my mom said, you know, when you lift your hands, you need to open your hand because you're releasing yourself to God. I was like, I don't know. I just got to like... That's a big thing. Like for eight, like to go from that to that, like even now it feels (laughs) age eight fast forward we go back to another full gospel businessmen's convention now mind you never missing church in all of those times age 11 this time I go to the kids program because there was this like hot chick who started talking to me and she was there so I'm like oh I'm going to go this time It was that noble. And so I I went, and the final night they give this altar call to receive Jesus, but also to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm vibrating, physically vibrating under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and under the power of God. But I resisted because you have a choice. You can resist, you don't have to say yes. It's not automatic, guys. It's that pearl of great price. What are you willing to pay for? We, we, will, we will prioritize all kinds of things in life that will not be a legacy that we leave to the children's children, but kingdom will be. It's a ruthless principle, but it's true. And so age eleven, I, I got out of the meeting, I escaped unscathed, except that I was vibrating, and then it was about ten o'clock at night, 10 o'clock, the whole conference is over, everything is over. We're in the hotel room and I can't stop vibrating. I can't shake it. I look at my mom and I say, I've gotta go. My mom and my dad were there. I said, I've got where do you gotta go? I was like, I gotta go get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they let me go I walked down at age 11 They left me to walk down Or go down the elevator In a hotel alone And I go to the room where The youth meeting was And most of the lights were off And the two guys that ran the meetings Were stacking chairs And doing whatever they were doing They were cleaning all their stuff up And I walked up to them and said Hey, what do you, what do you want? What do you, what do you need? And I was like I, got, I gotta be baptized in the Holy Spirit I gotta do this And they were like, okay so they laid hands on me. They began to pray. And as they prayed, their hands came off of me. And, you know, with the assembly of God in particular, the, the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that the initial physical evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Um, I would say the initial evidence, although it may not be physical, is boldness. There's a boldness that comes on you when you have a fresh baptism of fire, and they they had they had they by the time they were done praying they were about five feet away from me and they said. We don't understand what's happening. You're not speaking in tongues, but we know that you're being baptized in fire because the fire around you is so hot we can't touch you anymore. Age eleven. Fast forward, we moved to New Jersey, which I was very angry about. And when you're a teenager, you can be angry about anything and everything. I was very angry. We left kind of my home, my community. I'm a kind of a homebody, and I like stability and like not changing things, especially as a kid. So we moved to New Jersey. We were on the Jersey Shore, which is as you might think it might be if you've ever watched TV. It was really... Strange, a strange place. I love New Jersey. People. I I just love people. Moderately. And with the love of the Lord. Praise him. And, uh, you know, I tried to dabble in different spiritual things, and I read a lot of different books from different religions and occult stuff and all that stuff. I wanted power. Power age 15 we're in a Sunday night service we're going in and this girl who was in the youth group I never went to youth group because I hated everybody and uh, except this one girl I would tolerate her she was hot she said hey do you want to sit with us so I go to my parents I was like hey they, they asked me to go sit with them my parents said no which is weird because the kids were sitting toward the front and we were sitting toward the back we were like maybe five rows from the back of the church in pews be thankful for these nice cushy seats when I was a kid and worship began and worship never ended we didn't have a worship band back then it was an AG church they had a piano player and a singer there's no band this was 1985 probably maybe 86 probably 1986 And the presence of God came in like a fire in that place. And Pastor Reitzel got up and he just went right into an altar call. There was no way that he could release a word. And and so here's the thing, and I love this book that Jack Hayford wrote, Majesty on Worship. And in in the book, he talks about two kinds of worshipers. You have synagogue worshipers, you have temple worshipers. Temple worshipers, all they wanna do is sit at the feet of Jesus and worship and all that. And that's great, you know, Probably these days, I wave flags and such, which I'm totally good with. Go ahead and wave the flags. Just don't hit any equipment and don't hit me. I've been struck by more, more flags than I can count. I, I probably have CTE from, you know, I still feel that one right here. Yeah, it wasn't you. It was Erica. It was Erica. She had forearms. Like, she did calisthenics in the back before worship. Like, you know you're in trouble. And she's so revered. She came out of a, you know, I I don't know if she came out of Kojic or, or Ame or you know some you know Black Baptist church in Georgia. And so you know, Mama, you know how they feel about their pastors. And then she struck the pastor with a fly. She was mortified. I think she thought she was about to be struck. I just, but she was strong. She was. She was also brilliant. She runs a lab in uh, Raleigh. You know the Research Triangle uh, down in North Carolina now. So I'm 15, and I feel myself begin to vibrate under the Spirit. Now, at this point, I, I understand what this is like. And, and the issue is I always wanted to stay angry. I wanted to, I wanted to resist God, but sometimes He would move upon me in such a way that I could not resist. Why? Because I was under authority. I was under the authority of my parents, and my mom never stop praying. My dad was a prayer, prayerer too. He would be the synagogue worshiper. My mom was a little more of the temple worshiper. And so I was there, and the presence of God is, is moving on me, and I feel myself edging toward the aisle, but I don't want to do this. I don't want to go down there. I don't want to make a spectacle of myself. I don't know what's about to happen. But the presence of God was so thick at age 15, moving on me, beginning to displace the darkness that I had taken into me. You know, we make much about the work of the enemy. We make much about... Uh, you know, you know, bloodlines or curses or, you know, the things that we dabble in. But all of those are subservient to the presence of God. Where light comes, darkness cannot be. And he has overcome. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. He is seated high above all principality and power, every ruler of darkness, every ideology of man. He is sovereign. He is God. He is king. He was there at the beginning. He will be there at the end. And I, you know, I... I have a level of appreciation for people that like to sit in daddy's lap but when I look at scripture in the book of Revelation I also see the God of Revelation 4 whose eyes are burning with fire who has a scepter in his hand later on in the book he's got a sword that proceeds from his mouth he sits upon a throne constructed for him by the best craftsman in heaven and that throne even explodes in thunders and lightnings because nothing created can contain his glory that's the level of glory that I seek And when he moved upon me at age 15, I could not contain the glory. And I I got to the space where I no longer could resist him, What, what John Calvin speaks of, of irresistible grace. And I'm not a Calvinist, I'm not a Reformed theologian, but... I have experienced what that is like To have the grace and the, the favor The blessing of God What do I mean by that? Just his presence moving upon me So heavily as a teenager Who did not want him Who the summer after 8th grade I shook my fist at God After having an encounter by the way After being baptized in the Holy Spirit Just three or four mo- uh, two to three months later I'm shaking my fist at God Telling him to leave me alone But he does not always heed our prayers. So, you know, I'm not all Calvinist. and I'm not all Armenian. What does that mean? I'm not all in on, you know, God, you know, everything is is sort of preordained in the way that we understand it. And I'm not all into free will because I have seen God overthrow my free will. And so, I mean, and then you could make the case, well, you know, it was your free will to go down to the altar. At that point, it really didn't feel that way. There was no choice for me. And so I made my way down from the back of the church to the front of the church on the day that, you know, I wanted to go sit next to that girl, but I was sitting next to my parents. Because sometimes your parents just make decisions that you don't understand, and they might not even understand it. But if you submit and you align yourself to uh, the authority that God has placed over your life, it will release blessing. Even if they're making wrong decisions. It's a whole other message. But, so I I make my way down. Now as an angry teenager, everybody knew I was angry. Everybody knew that I never went to youth group. Everybody knew that I, I looked like I hated everybody because I wore that on my face. So now you got, you know, I don't know, I mean, it felt like 20 pairs of hands on me in every part, well, not every part of my body, but, you know, there was a lot of hands on me praying for me, and I began to shake violently under the power of the Spirit to the point where I grabbed the pew, and I just stared at my hand because I didn't know if, I just, I didn't know what was going to happen. I wanted to, to make sure that I was still here, if that makes sense could i tell you what was happening was i be, was it deliverance was it a fresh baptism all i know is that the presence of god was there and i shook violently and i wept and i wept and i wept and i can't even tell you how long i was there so over the course of my life from 0 to 18 i had what three or four encounters with god and then in my senior year in high school we uh, holy spirit sparked a revival in a Christian reform school. A friend of mine in my class was a nationally ranked gymnast. I think he was ranked 56th at the time. He had a full-ride scholarship to William and Mary. He broke his neck warming up, over-rotated on a back tuck and broke his neck, put screws in his head preparing him for surgery I went to go visit him. So we had this prayer vigil on the day of his surgery. The first guy went in at seven I came in at 7.30. When I came in, every person that walked in that room did not leave. By two o'clock, the staff of the school were starting to come in to receive prayer because they heard something was happening in, by the way, at the time, it was the upper room of the library. So over the course of my life then, uh, as as a young man, now you're talking about three or four encounters that happened over the span of time because my parents understood the cost of leaving a legacy to the children's children. So when revival hit the land in the 90s, and I was met with this sovereign level of the presence of God that I had never experienced before and honestly have never experienced since. At the same time, as you mature, the water level has to be a lot deeper than it was when you were little. When you're, when you're young in faith, the kiddie pool is, is amazing, but it's interesting that I can remember when we were moving to Massachusetts from New Jersey and I was age three, age four, somewhere in there, when we came up to come look at houses, we stayed in a, in a hotel that had a pool. And to me, that was Massachusetts. I didn't understand that Massachusetts was a state and that we were going to have a house in Massachusetts. I thought that place was Massachusetts. So I was really excited that we were moving to Massachusetts because it was a hotel with a pool and all the staff loved me. And I remember getting into the pool, and my brother was at the deep end of the pool, and I decided that's where I should be, and so I just kept walking. And I can remember swallowing water, inhaling water, coughing water, basically I was starting to drown myself because I was beginning to navigate in a place that I was not equipped to navigate, but that's just where I wanted to be, to the point where the lifeguard had to jump in and get me out. I never had fear. Clearly, I was not in a good place, but I I didn't even realize that because I saw where my brother was, and that's where I wanted to be. We have to give not only our kids, we have to give the world a target to shoot for. This is why we need encounter. This is why we have to be so hungry for a fresh baptism, a fresh saturation This is why when I feel the level of fire that I felt this morning, that it it jolted me out of my existence, that I understand that we can walk into it corporately, we can steward it, or we can walk away. We can just protect what we've always known. We can build a tradition We could get nice pews. We could have a nice church, you know, and maybe 20 years down the line, the Bridge Metro West still is going and is still existing and is still rallying around a monument of what God did in 2005 to 2010, or we can feel the cloud by day, the fire by night, or we can do what Jesus said. I, I can do nothing of myself. I can only do what I see the Father doing. We could be like Jesus who said from the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom is forcefully, or another translation says, violently advancing, violent men lay hold of it. Forceful men lay hold of it. There is a, an aggressiveness that is required in the kingdom. And I appreciate all of the teachings. I am trying to appreciate all of the teachings on rest that are out there, particularly in the Western church. But at the same time, the Apostle Paul biblically speaks of striving for the faith. Now, we don't want to talk about striving because I understand that, that there is a striving that is apart from the Spirit, but when you're in the Spirit and you see what he's doing, then you strive to stay in, a, in alignment with what he's doing, and then you, you start to walk like Paul walked where he says, I beat my body into submission. What does he mean by that? It means that even though I'm tired, even though I don't feel like it, I go. And in full disclosure, if I was If this wasn't my job, I'd probably Miss Sundays too I'd miss meetings too The one year that we went to a church Where I didn't have to do anything There were days We woke up and we're like, hey, I don't, I don't want to do this Today, Riley was a baby But the thing was that, that church you could go and then you dropped Your babies off like right away So the other, the other side of the coin was you know, We could get two blissful hours without a screaming baby Because Riley screamed a lot back then. He still screams occasionally. Mostly while he's playing video games. So what does it look like to steward these moments? I, I just have to say it's first man in, last man out. Most people won't do it. Ridge Metro West, I'm saying to do it. I'm on the other side of surgery, spine surgery, and yes, there was many days that I was in pain, and no, you didn't know it, because when you get in the glory, you honestly don't feel it. You feel it when you wake up in the morning. You got to roll out of bed. You feel it sometimes when you walk in, but when the glory comes... Symptoms go away And so people get confused Sometimes they, they think there's a healing that happens When it's just the anointing We, we need to press through the glory Into create miracle And then the word of faith movement Kind of got it wrong a little bit Because they put the onus of healing On the person that needed to be healed Yes there are examples in scripture Where your faith has made you well But at the same time There's also examples in scripture Where the sovereignty of God just manifests And now you're made new That's what we're looking for and we're also looking to raise the water table of faith so that we can say your faith has made you well. I've seen people get healed right in the middle of worship sets without an altar call. I've seen people get saved, have Jesus sovereignly... root. Re- There's one lady, we were in... A, in a, Providence, Rhode Island or Woonsocket I think it was Woonsocket, Rhode Island doing a block party doing worship prophetic worship for three hours and Jesus sovereignly met her she was a heroin addict Jesus, her and her husband sovereignly met her in the street out of maybe 3,000 people that were there she was highlighted while I was playing keys and I just kept looking at her she never moved no one ever walked up to her until the very, very end and I finally went and I knew who she was because she worked in my office that's how she found out about it I didn't know about the heroin thing. but And she said, um, I wanted to go get a hot dog, but I couldn't move. I, I met Jesus today. And I was like, cool, did, did somebody from the ministry team lead you? Like, no, no, you don't understand. I met Jesus today. By the time the ministry team ever got to her, three hours later, she was already in the kingdom because she sovereignly met the king in the midst of, of a space that she didn't really want to be in because she wanted to get, she'd rather go get a hot dog than stay in a worship. What does this look like? Psalm 34, one through five, just so we can make this official. I was gonna speak more on this this passage, but now I'm I'm gonna close with it. What does it really look like to steward what we've been given? With intention. See, sometimes we think we have to feel it before we do it. If that were the case, I wouldn't be here a lot. Because as Jeff said, and we lived in their house for nine months, I'm not a morning person. I'm not creative in the morning. I'm cranky in the morning. I'm creative at night. He's creative in the morning a lot of times. But there's decisions that you, you, you make, and this isn't that scripture, but there's the other psalm that says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Why does the psalmist write that? Because out of his cognitive thinking and from his spirit, he's prophesying to his soul to bless the Lord, even if he doesn't feel like it. And when you do that, you break out and you break through and you chip away at the walls of your soul and you begin to walk by spirit and to move by spirit rather than coming under the realm of your your mind, will, and your emotions, you are now uh, manifesting your own being from the space of wisdom, communion, and conscience, which, which is your spirit, which is regenerated by the blood of Christ. The kingdom is not convenient. That's why Jesus spoke the parable of the pearl of great price. It's not easy. It's not always smooth. It's not without battles and it's not without fights. But it is with the glory and the grace and the fire of the living God that when he moves upon you, when you have received his grace, there's a responsibility to walking out royalty for yourself individually, for the call of this house, and to leave a legacy to the children's children. Psalm 34, one through five, in the English Standard Version says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. Is that really true? Did he? Probably not. But he was calling things that were not as though they are. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Why? Because it's under the submission now of the Spirit. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Why? Because yes, you can have individual encounters, but you cannot replace the corporate. You cannot replace the gathering of yourselves together. Nancy Dozier was here in August, and she said, Herod is dead. What was she speaking of? This whole mindset that hit the church during COVID, where, where the enemy used that to fashion new behaviors out of convenience and say, oh, it's okay. You can stay in your home. You, can, you don't have to go. You don't have to gather together. Uh, you know, this isn't church. I'm the church. You're not the church. Collectively, we are the church. It's from Genesis to Revelation. I can pattern this out for you that, yes, there is a a singularity in the way that we operate, but there's also a plurality. And the plurality is designed to function in unity. Well Elizabeth was talking out of John 17, examples in the Old uh, Testament where the people of God in their plurality functioned as one nefesh, one soul. It's all in the language that maybe we didn't translate properly because we, we in the Western Church don't know how to embrace mystery. So the psalmist goes from I will bless the Lord to O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us plural exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Then again plural those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This word, this Hebrew word for radiant, it the root word, the actual the, the word itself in its root it's not even a root it's actually the word it's just translated differently in different places based on context but the word speaks of a river that flows it speaks of a a people that stream i think it's isaiah 2:2 that talks about the the mountain of god and that all the nations will stream to it that's the same word for being radiant It means that when we behold Him, we receive something, but when we receive something from Him, it doesn't just stay here, we radiate it forth. This is why encounter is so important. This is why it has to be the supreme value in the way that we operate day to day, week to week. This is why the word in Hebrew says, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together because there's something in this idea of let us exalt the Lord together. There's something about coming in arm in arm, linked together and allowing his power to be perfected in your weakness, which is not a charismatic magic trick. It's how he causes every joint to supply toward the purposes of the body of Christ, the kingdom of God on earth. And it happens in the context of these corporate gatherings, not just because of me, but because of we. I didn't do anything to facilitate worship this morning. There was something that stepped into the room and you corporately began to steward that. You you sang in unity. You released a sound to the Lord and because you released a sound to the Lord, he found A place that he could step in, that he could sit upon, and the very throne of the, of God, the very manifestation of his sovereignty began to activate the atmosphere around you. Not because of me, but because of we. And there are days where I come in where I don't feel like being here. There are days that you show up that you don't feel like being here. And sometimes you're just marking time. But when you do, rest assured, there will be other people that walk into this room that are ready to go. They've already stewarded the presence. Natalie gets up early in the morning and then she shows up two plus hours before anybody else gets here and she begins to steward the atmosphere. The intercessors begin to steward the atmosphere. The worship team is preparing the atmosphere both with the skill of what they do but also the way they approach in the spirit. We had prayer on Friday night. We had men's prayer Saturday morning. We had ministry team training Saturday morning at 10. It's the stewarding of the atmosphere where every joint supplies, allowing His power to be perfected in your weakness. And that has to be the primary value in our lives of connecting with the body of Christ. And then everything begins to flow out of that. Then when you go forth from this place, and you go into the marketplace, you go into your workspaces, you go into your recreational activities, there's something that begins to radiate from you, like a river. It's the same word for a river flowing the river of God moving forward the people streaming toward the mountain of God it radiates from your face because you have stepped into a space where God is it's not just for you it's through you that's the whole purpose it's we receive so that we can radiate so when I I, I long for the day that I could say oh I was in the throne room but I had an encounter with the Lord when when the, the prayer room was over there just on the other side of that black wall and I was face down it wasn't even before a service it was just during the week and I was face down and I the weight of his glory had pressed me down so much I couldn't get up and I, I got to the space where I had 360 degree vision and I was on the sea of glass and I knew that his throne I knew that his throne was over there And this black lace veil was placed over me. And behind me, I could see, as it were, the cloud of witnesses and the angelic. And I couldn't get up and I couldn't move and I wanted to get to the throne. And the Spirit said to me, you're not ready to walk out the responsibility of what you would see we allowed you to get there so just in just in case you think I'm that cool sometimes it's the grace of God to withhold something from you in the same way it is that God would give something to you I'm about to teach my son how to drive but I wouldn't do that when he was two why it's obvious those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed Stephen the deacon Acts 6 to 8 his face was radiant and his face was never ashamed even as he was being stoned to death It was the proudest moment he had ever had in Christ Jesus, as the rocks were being hurled at his body and at his head, and he looked up and he saw it open heaven and he saw Jesus on the throne. And he began to speak of what he saw, and it just emboldened the accuser to even a greater level of fervor but the church exploded from Jerusalem as a result and the kingdom moved across the earth. It might have seemed unjust, it might have seemed wrong, it was pain, it was death, it was loss. We felt like we lost as the church, but God used that moment of, of unjust sacrifice to explode the church across the earth, even to the Gentiles, so that 2,000 years later, we can be here in the Bridge Metro West, and we can say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name, God, we come into agreement, kingdom come, your will be done. Oh. Let your fire fall in New England again. God, I set myself on fire that people would come to watch me burn and behold the beauty and the glory of the living God. Oh, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to steward what it is that he's depositing on the earth today? Kingdom come, kingdom come, kingdom come, whatever the cost, whatever time in the morning. I say this with fear and trembling. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidgery is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508 651 7 7